Hello and welcome to Working From Wisdom. My name is Tracy Garrity. I am a transformative coach and this podcast is all about exploring what it's like to live life from the inside out, to be guided more from a place of inner wisdom and to allow life to flow more effortlessly through it. I speak to business owners, friends, colleagues, people who are showing up in the world from that place, and they share with me their experience of working from wisdom. In this episode, I am delighted to be speaking to Nina Lockwood. Nina is an advanced transformative coach. She's an artist, a speaker and an author, and she lives in New York. Nina is trained as a psychotherapist, and she has also spent decades studying the spiritual traditions energy medicine and psychology. In her role as a coach, she helps people to recognize their own infinite creative potential so that they can live life with more clarity, ease and lightness of being. As an artist, she often asks the question, what wants to show up? Her college art, which was often manipulated with an electric sander, has been shown in regional galleries and found homes both in the US and internationally. And as a writer, she has contributed to Medium.com and her articles have been featured in such publications as Healing Springs Journal and Energy Medicine. And her website is ninalockwood.com. I really enjoyed our conversation together It flowed effortlessly and I loved the feeling that came with our conversation. A couple of the things that we looked at were the clarity that comes from looking at our experience without clouding it in our stories or interpretations and how we get to grow from that space. And something that Nina spoke about, which really resonated with me, was What happens when we stop adding things into the mix and allow what's already there to come to the surface and to see what is already present? I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Thank you for listening. You are very welcome to Working From Wisdom and I am delighted to be joined by Nina Lockwood today. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast, Nina. Oh, happy to be here. So I'm going to start by asking you the same question that I ask everybody else. What does working from wisdom mean to you? Oh, that's a really good question. And interestingly enough, before we got on this call, I looked it up in the dictionary. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just to make sure I was either on the same track or way off on a different track. Well, I didn't look it up in a dictionary, so (laughs) this will be a surprise. It's really interesting, actually, because the words that were included in the Wikipedia definition included things like knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, compassion, non-attachment, and self-knowledge. Okay. Just one or two little ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's so many facets to it, the idea of wisdom and the 
<clears throat> excuse me, and the application and the living from it. You know, it's not, it's not so much a conscious decision. I'm going to live from wisdom today. I'm going to be wise today. I think some of it is just a settling down and a settling back and looking at our direct experience without clouding it with a lot of stories or interpretations or expectations, but being able to really see what is, what's available to us, what's in our way, and what's the kindest and wisest way to proceed. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, what has that, what has been, what has your experience been like in learning to see things without things getting in your way? Well, my first disclaimer is I can't do that all the time, <laughs> but it's something that I aspire to. Uh, you know, I think I've always been a bit of a mystic and I've always had that question of why are we here and what are we doing here? And my, I think that was compounded by the fact that when I was 10, my father had his first heart attack and he had a heart attack every year for three years. And then the next year he had a partial stroke. And then when I was 15, he had a stroke that killed him. So that just made the question much bigger. You know, when you let go of, or when it's taken away from you, the things that appear to be secure, then you wonder what is secure. And my, so I, just like everybody else, really, I went through many years of not even seeing wisdom as a, a distant concept, a lofty ideal that I wanted because I was unhappy a lot of the time and just not knowing what I wanted or where I wanted to get it. And I think the older I got, so I went through all of the, the seeking, the spiritual seeking that a lot of people do to find answers. And there were lots of answers out there, but not all of them resonated. And some of them were helpful for a time and then became less helpful when I saw something different. So the process, I think, has been one in which I thought I was supposed to add things to who I was and what I was capable of. You know, the, the whole buying the whole ticket to self-improvement, personal development, adding this, adding that to my quote-unquote toolbox. But now I'm seeing it much more of a, a subtraction than an addition to me because I don't need more. I don't more th need more things to do or more things to put in my way as almost an obstacle course to being able to see what's really here and available. Yeah, I really like that. And that's something that I have been very much exploring and leaning into lately is 
that stripping things back and taking things away rather than adding them on. So I'd love if you could speak a little bit more about that because it's something that we struggle with an awful lot. The idea that stopping and actually not doing can sometimes be far more productive than the busyness and the doing. So how do you see that? Or, or if somebody, if somebody came to you and said, well, I don't know what you, could you explain that to me? I don't understand. What do you mean? Take things away. Yeah. Well, I think another way of talking about it is uncovering what is. So I've been running a group program called love in action. And I started it because I could see so many people were miserable and afraid because of the pandemic right now and were just retreating into themselves and feeling very frightened and worried and unhappy. And one of the people in the group said something about uncovering love. And as we have gone through this exploration, you begin to see it everywhere that there is so much that's already available to us that we don't have to do anything for. We don't have to be special. We don't have to work at it. You just start to see how much of life is a gift and how much when we aren't up in our heads, we can listen to our hearts. We can listen to a knowing. So there's a real distinction between thinking and knowing. And yeah. our culture, our conditioning is all about thinking, figuring it out, making it work, pushing, adding to. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen happens naturally is that when we step back, we see that life, maybe not people, but life has its own wisdom, has its own generosity, has its own, you know, if I was to use more contemporary words, more abundance that we forget about when we're caught up with what should I do now or how am I going to, that there's always an answer. And we're, we're just not taught to listen in our culture. Yes, exactly. And it, it leads to so much self-doubt and so much insecurity in making decisions for ourselves and how we should show up in life. And it, that's certainly something that I have really battled with is that knowing that there's something there, but actually learning to trust in that and filter out all of the external noise that is conflicting what my own wisdom is trying to point me towards. And that's really difficult, you know, and I guess, what do you see around that? Or have, well, have you well, can I ask you a question back, which is why is it difficult? I guess it's back to that conditioning of looking to the outside world to guide us. 
and the idea that somebody else knows better than we do. The little I know about you, you're a bit of a rebel, aren't you? <laughs> so I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> well, but me it's, too. It's a rebel with, you know, uh, what's the word I'm trying to... I haven't fully stepped into the, the rebel shoes. You know, I put them on from time to time. And then I think, oh, maybe I should be wearing different shoes here. I should be in a different role. And it's like I, I could never fully embrace what felt right to me, but didn't seem to look like it was supposed to. And all of that thinking got in the way of me kind of fully embracing my, you know what, I'm going to figure out my own way of doing this. Yeah. You know, I had a really interesting experience the other day, which I think is relevant to our conversation, which is that a lot of, I've just noticed this really in the last couple months, a lot of people and ideas that I had probably put on a pedestal, I thought, oh, that's the way to live, uh, started to come down and the pedestals broke and the people and the ideas started to fall off mm. and break. And there was a period where I felt really lost and thought, I'm, I, I don't know, I got nothing here. I, I just, so I did a lot of house cleaning. <laughs> I don't know if that helped, but it felt good. But what I realized at one point when I wasn't thinking about, well, what next? What am I going to latch on to now? I had this moment of realizing, oh, I'm not lost. I'm liberated. Mm. And it was a huge moment, one of those light bulb moments where I had had an experience which was slightly uncomfortable. And I had a thought that kind of logically made sense because of the circumstances. And yet, I realized, and you know, it wasn't something I had to figure out. It just came to me. I was like, no, you're not lost. You're liberated from things that you felt you had to do, had to look up to, had a certain expectation about those people or circumstances. And now you're free. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it kind of comes down to that sometimes certain things can look more real than others. You know, when we have a lot of strong thinking about something. And when I have those moments of seeing through that and seeing through what I thought was real and and kind of going, oh, yeah, that was just an illusion as well, you know? And 
yeah, there's there is there really is something in that that moment of insight. You know, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, and she was seemed to have all of these problems and things in in her in her head and in her life, and they seemed very real to her. But I could see that they were really just a misunderstanding in her thinking. And in the past, those problems would have looked real to me as well. So, and it, 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 there, there's layers of it, you know, so sometimes we see through thinking that's it's like, oh yeah, that's easy to see through that. I can see how that's made up. And then there's another layer, but it's like, oh, but that thinking is very real. And it just, sure. it can take a little bit longer for us to, for the fog to clear around us and, and to see it with greater clarity. But when it does happen, it's, oh, okay. Hmm. It's more and more freedom. Yeah. And I think my experience is that that's, that's what people want. They yeah. want freedom from that endless monkey mind and, and not so much freedom from it occurring, but freedom from thinking that we need to pay so much attention to it. Mm. And if you look at all the wisdom traditions, they are all saying the same thing, is that we distort reality by overthinking. Mm. So the Buddhist traditions, the Hindu traditions, the Christian traditions, they're all pointing to the same thing, is that when we, that there's a whole other reality when we take away our overemphasis on our logical minds, which is, you know, if you look at what are called primitive uh, communities, they don't have that problem. There's much more of a simplicity to life and an appreciation for life. So, you know, this is also a common example, but there are so many um, places in the third world, Africa, where people have nothing. Mm. And yet they're happy. They're not burdened the way the West is burdened by that constant uh, directive to push, to shove, to make stuff happen, to do things, you know, to really prove yourself. But if there's nothing to prove, except in our own heads, mm. which we can dismiss, then there's so much more of the world available to us. And I think we're kinder to one another and to ourselves. There's a, a beautiful story that um, I had read, I think it was in Eckhart, one of Eckhart Tolle's books. He um, described it, a tribe in Africa, when a couple are planning on having a child, even before the child is conceived, the woman will go and walk and let a song come to her 
And when the song has come and as they are conceiving the child, she sings the song. And when the child is born, she sings the song. And in, within the community, everybody has their own song. And as each person grows, if they are in turmoil, if they have done something to hurt somebody else, what they do is they put that person in the center of a circle and they all stand around and they sing your song because they just want to bring you back home. Mm. And connect with that part of you, connect with your soul again and to help you see, you know, the truth of who you are. And I just... It, it has stuck with me and resonated with me. And it goes back to, you know, your point there, the simplicity of when we don't have all of these distractions and when we don't have all of this interference from outside, we are far more connected with ourselves on the inside. Yeah. That's really true. At least that's been my experience, is that I think at a certain point, the journey shifts from being one of seeking to one of uh, realizing or recognizing what is. And it does require some settling down, some quieting. And at the same time, it's not, we're not helpless. We're not helpless victims of our thinking. We can, the one thing we can do is shift our attention by our thoughts. We can shift it, whether it's focusing on the sensations of the, of the body, which is a, a big thing that Eckhart Tolle talks about, you know, when you're up in your head to start to feel, well, can I feel my hands? Mm-hmm. and I feel my feet so that the focus is less on what's going on in our minds but the actual experience of being in a body same thing happens when you know that idea of being in the flow when you're creating something when you're playing music when you're making something with your hands or you're cooking there's a lessening of that necessity to follow our thoughts to wherever they're going to take us because it's just not as interesting. And when we are in that state, our minds are pretty quiet. We can appreciate the, the sting of the onions when we're chopping them, you know, or the, the beauty of color if we're making something with paint or, something that has color in it. I've been having, you know, conversations with a friend of mine recently and because we are both in this really settling down, uh, quietening space, we're, we're, we're doing it together, you know, and she'll ring me some mornings and go, do the mountains always look this amazing? You know, cause she has a view of the 12 pins from her, her, bedroom in Connemara or from her house rather you know and I'm like I know to the sunsets were they always this spectacular and 
it's like everything is just more vibrant and more alive and there really is when we are not seeing things we are literally not seeing things it affects our vision i mean we bump into things i know when i'm distracted i'm always opening doors and banging my head and you know my balance and everything is off so on a physical level we do not see stuff around us because we get so stuck in our head thinking and when that settles down and it is a bit by bit process it certainly was for me that quietening down because there were you know there's obviously these habitual loops that like to come back in again and um i found i was kind of nearly just sort of one at a time looking at the loop and just just looking at it with curiosity and saying is that true you know is that true or is that just a whole imagined scenario that you have going on in your head yeah it's kind of imagined right does it make you feel bad yeah it does okay do you want to keep thinking it no not really okay well whenever you're ready just feel free to pass to move along and it you know it comes back because obviously they're habitual but i find they just move along a lot quicker because i'm yeah. i see what's happening ah, i see you're back again you little bollocks <laughs> yeah we've had this discussion before and i told you you're not welcome here anymore i do have those dialogues in my head sometimes less less now but it just yeah and and the emptiness like literally sometimes my head feels empty i'm like god there's nothing in my head at the moment isn't it nice it is it's so cool yeah, <laughs> yeah. i think i agree with you about how our thinking obscures our vision and not only our vision but our our sensory experience as well just as you were saying bumping into things dropping things not hearing the birds not seeing the sunset not seeing that somebody has done a kindness focusing on when we're all we are doing it's like having a stick figure where the head is huge and then the rest of the body is you know tiny teeny tiny it's all up in here and as soon as we catch on to that i think then it's almost like an invitation to ask what else what else is available what's here right now and i think when when i've done that when i've practiced that and i think i heard that question years ago when i was studying uh, the sedona method with hal doskin and one of his questions was what what else is here right now which took my attention off all of the loops in my head and i could see and i could feel and i could sense other people the the emotional connection to other people the goodness in other people the possibility in the world the beauty in the world but 
if I'm just caught up in my thinking or feeling like I have to defend myself from my thinking, you know, ooh, nope, can't have that thought in my head, then it, it's, it really is freedom. Freedom to really, really live. It makes us very selfish. Insecurity, insecure thinking. I see that, you know, in myself that I, I wasn't as aware of other people. I wasn't as present for other people. I wasn't as empathetic towards other people because I was only thinking about myself. Not in an egoic way, but in a, when we are trapped in our head, it's so self-indulgent. Yeah. And as human beings, we're just not showing up in the way that we are designed to. We're not showing up from a place of, of love and connection with others. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've really found that true for myself, that if I am worried about the future, or if I think somebody is not pulling their weight, or if somebody's doing something wrong, I just, it's just a shutdown of my my capabilities and my possibilities and my ability to be open to new ideas. So as you were talking about earlier, taking that time to stop and notice what's going on here is a doorway to a whole different reality if we're interested in it. You know, I, I'm, you may have heard me say this before, but a long time ago, I read a book by a woman named, <clears throat> excuse me, Brenda Euland, and she wrote it when she, I think she was, she lived till she was in her mid eighties. She's, she's long gone now, but anyway, she wrote a book called If You Want to Write, and uh, it wasn't just for writers. It was really an exhortation to express everything, live everything, experience it all. And she tells a story about uh, Vincent van Gogh, who was writing to his brother as he was studying for, as, as van Gogh was studying for the clergy. And he was in this garret, you know, penniless candle, you know, writing with a cheap pencil and yellow pad of paper. And he's describing to his brother what he sees outside his window. And then at one point he says, it's so beautiful. I must show you how it looks. And he draws a little sketch in the middle of his letter to show his brother. And when I read that, it was as though I had this huge moment of, oh, Right. It's not about me. It's about the thing I'm pointing to. And that was a real game changer for me because if I thought about trying to 
do something and how would I look? How would it come across? Would people like it? You know, on and on. That would really stop me in my tracks. But if I was putting my attention on what it is I was pointing to, the beauty, the awesomeness, the the unspeakableness of it, it wasn't about me at all. And I think that's true for all of us when we see something like that sunset, like the mountains, that it's no longer about us. It's about the beauty. It's about the love. It's about the possibility. It's about the ever-changing gloriousness of being alive, even when being alive means death and destruction and difficulty and challenges. There's also that beauty and that possibility and that love that shows up in every everywhere if you just look look for it you know in the in the song in the bird song right out your window you know in the in the squirrel in the river in the clouds in other people in children yeah and that's something i wrote a blog last week and that came to me in it you know the intelligence of life it doesn't care whether we're tuned into it or not. It's still flowing. It's still doing its thing. It's just, you know, and it's, it's, it's working from its wisdom and its infinity-ness, <laughs> regardless of whether we see that or not. But it's always going on in the background. And it's always there and available to us as well always it's just you can't hear it if you are thinking about yourself and thinking about how your thoughts and how the world is out to get you and yeah can you imagine what it would be like to grow up with the constant exhortation to Look at the beauty, look at the possibility, look at what can be accomplished. You know, instead of from the time we are wee babies, you know, don't do that. Sit up straight. Don't, don't talk, you know, listen. You know, all of these things we're told not to do and to do in a way that is restrictive and limiting. Pay attention to this. Don't listen to that person. This is to be have that open wonder and and not stupidity i don't think that kind of uh, naivete is stupidity it's seeing all of it seeing all of it and i think we could all do better if we had more of that yes more wonder and more curiosity and less formed ideas. Yeah. You know, we don't, you know, I was, uh, had a conversation with someone on an earlier interview that I did in my creativity conversation series and her 
she's very involved in leadership development and very community oriented lovely woman and her tagline was what else is possible what a great way to be living yeah and another um, individual that i had on that series david beeler who is a colleague of michael neal's uh, said that when he was growing up, he's really one of those multi-potentialites. And when he was growing up, he said his mom would have something and she'd reuse it till it couldn't be reused anymore. And then she'd say to her sons, what else could you do with this? So I think that looking at things from different angles, which is why I think artists and scientists and educators are revered and sometimes mystified and sometimes dismissed is that they're always looking what else what else what else what else can you see you know like those old um magic eye books i don't know if you ever saw those where uh there was an image that looked very blurry and if you held it up to yes. your eyes and then right and you pulled it yes. back and then you saw a three-dimensional image which you didn't see before i think that's what happens when we are less interested in the thinking that keeps us limited and small because mm. then we start to see things that the sunset you know the cat sleeping on in the sun the the innocence of of all of us you know we're just we're just on a you know, a misunderstanding about what life is about. And that's really it, Nina, when you kind of boil it all down. It's, it's not that we're faced with all of these problems and challenges and our circumstances. It's that we just misunderstand our thinking. And we misunderstand, I guess, the where life is coming from and where our experience is coming from. I think regardless of, uh, and I agree with you, I think regardless of how we create our worldview, how we interpret it, that there's no denying that there is an intelligence and a benevolence to it to the to the universe and it's only when we humans use our ability to think in a way that is really limited and makes the world look smaller it's like we're looking out the wrong end the opposite end of a uh, a telescope mm -hmm. or binoculars right so everything gets changed and looks smaller and like it has less to it and if we weren't here us humans with all of our thinking the world would continue to turn and life would continue to live and trees would continue to grow and animals would you know populate and control themselves like it would all still go on 
regardless of us being here or not. Yeah. Yeah. We're one little bit of it. Yeah. We have that capacity for awareness and attention and self-inquiry to really be asking. And I, you know, I, I'd love to know what you think about this, but you know, I think it's a moment, I think it's a moment of grace where we're going along, life has got its ups and downs, it's vaguely uncomfortable, and then it's a little more uncomfortable, and then it's really uncomfortable. There's something about a moment that happens in there where it's, I've had enough. There's got to be a different way to do this. You know, it's like stepping out of that magic circle. Once you start to step back out of it, it's like you can't go back in there anymore because it doesn't, the world starts to look different to you. But it is kind of a mystery of how that happens. But thank God it does. I guess it's that, um, it's the waking up, you know, and if, if you are blessed to have had that light bulb, as the man says in Despicable Me moment where like it, cause I know exactly what you're, you're, you're speaking about. I can actually remember the time it happened to me. Cause I literally went, Oh my God, you are a smart girl, Tracy. Why are you making so many stupid choices for yourself? And it literally, it was like the universe went, well, finally, she's waking up. Now we can start putting things in front of her because they, they just seem to appear. And it is that waking up, you start to open up your eyes and you see things that were possibly always there, but they didn't come into your vision, your line of sight. But it's like there's a, a shift for me. I like I physically felt a shift in where I was vibrating from the frequency and 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 knowing that I this I don't want this anymore, and I was ready to to see fresh and see new. And it's like it has continued and sometimes it has been at such a rapid rate that I'm sort of like seeing new things on a kind of a whoa. And then it peters off for a while and you kind of plateau. And then like there's another layer of seeing and seeing new and seeing fresh. And like, whoa, that seemed so real to me last week. And now that's just completely blown out of the water and and one of the things that i think when i i suppose i started and you mentioned this at the beginning you know that path of personal development and is we have a tendency to use the word working on ourselves and it puts people off because it's it's like we have to do something hard we have to effort being ourselves. And for me, there certainly was a lot of work involved in it in the beginning. And I know I've heard some of the other um, uh, teachers like Dick and Bettinger and them talking about getting up and doing like hours and hours of meditation and journaling and, you know, 
doing a lot of efforting into feeling better and and i guess i see that that's not really it it's not coming home isn't work it's just sitting back into the nature of who we are and the more that you start to see through, through things and the more that i start to see that a lot of the things I thought were true aren't and the deeper I go into it it just gets more wonderful and amazing and you're like oh my this is this is so cool what am I going to see next week and next month so it's it's not work it is it's feeling alive and coming alive and coming more alive and more alive and more alive. And I don't know how th that's not work. That, I guess that's all I can say. I'm not articulating it very well, but it's not work. It's, it's the joy of being alive. Yeah. Oh, that was beautifully put, even though you didn't think you were. <laughs> I've heard uh, Rupert Spira, who's a non-dual teacher, say that the most important thing the more most important question that we can ask is who am i and on whose behalf are these thoughts insisting on being true mm -hmm. and we find that that if we look at that question we find that That separate self isn't is only made up of memories and conditioning and sensations that have been stored in the body, but which allows us then to to realize, oh, we're part of we're something much bigger than that. So I've, you know, going back to the question about what is wisdom, I don't think it's personal. It doesn't. It's not like my wisdom and your wisdom. It's the wisdom, like the love, the beauty. And we are all in it. It, it pervades who we are at our essence. Yeah. Beautiful. And on that final note of wisdom. I'm going to say thank you so much, Nina. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I did too. And I hope those of you that listen to it, enjoy it as much as, as we did. And I hope that you hear something in it and it makes you curious and want to connect a little bit more with your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you again. It was a pleasure. <laughs>